Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. So I'm here with my friend Roger Nix today. Roger was a senior pastor at Believer's Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, is on the national leadership team of 24-7 USA, and uh, more importantly, is just an old friend. (laughs) And uh, we've been on a journey together uh, for many, many years, and... um, and so when we started teaching this material stateside, United States, um, I remember Roger saying to me one day that, that he was taking his whole church and his elders through this book, Pursuing God's Will Together. As you all recall, a lot of this material is based on a book by Ruth Haley Barton called Pursuing God's Will Together. And, um, and so Roger and his congregation have been on quite a long journey utilizing these materials and these processes that we're talking about. So I thought it would be great if Roger could come and share his story and uh, we can hear what it's like in real time and space in a real community. And uh, and then at the end, there'll be some time to ask Roger questions. So um, as he is talking, you actually could type your questions in the chat as they come to mind. And what we'll do is at the end, uh, we'll take some time to respond to them. So we won't respond to them in the middle of our, our little conversation, but we'll we'll tap them at the end as much as we have time. So, hi, Roger. <laughs> Hello, friends and family. Thanks so <laughs> Great much. Great to for, be with you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come and be with us. And um Roger, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about your context back at home, uh, your city and your congregational life, your role in that, uh, at least when you started this this process? Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, So we are Believer's Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the heartland. Uh, The church was planted in 1997 by uh, a really one of my mentors and, and dear friends. And um, <clears throat> just a little background that the church exploded uh, in its first year. It went from 80 people to 3,000. So it was quite uh, uh, explosive. And then three years later, it imploded um, uh, because you, you can't really sustain that kind of growth that quickly. And there was a lot of things that were difficult. So I stepped in in 2001 uh, because there had been a, kind of a crash of leadership and some other things and and uh, was handed a, a church in crisis and and a church that uh, in a where we are a very typical traditional uh, kind of neo-charismatic church, uh, independent church and in the U.S. And so we began a long journey of healing. And in that process, um, moved from what I would call a very uh, senior pastor centric, uh, top down organization to uh, a grace based team led um, community. We still I was still operating as lead pastor as a first among equals in, in terms of eldership. But um, yeah, and then along the way in our journey, 24, we've been a 24-7 prayer community really from almost the beginning. 
before they knew what to do with um, more traditional churches. We didn't, we weren't as sexy as a boiler room. And so we didn't have the name boiler room. And uh, so we just kept showing up, hanging out, being friends together and allowing the values and the culture of prayer and mission and justice and all of the other beautiful values of creativity and hospitality and mission and learning kind of saturate our space. And, uh, and then probably four or five years ago, maybe, um, maybe it's been that long. Golly, Jill, I don't know. But uh, Jill, Jill, uh, in our, when she was back in Canada, we began uh, hobnobbing around and hanging out. And uh, she was, had, had been part of the Transforming Community Center as well and highly recommended this book. And, and then Joe Steinke, who's on our U.S. leadership team as well, began, we kind of adopted it as a potential for uh, a, a tool for our communities to learn how to lead together as a spiritual community. And so we were an early adopter and we were, uh, there was something that resonated uh, deeply in it about that we needed to, to go on this journey as a community and, and specifically as elders and as leaders. And so, uh, yeah, it, we, we it, it took a long time. Uh, we, we took our time. Let me just put it that way. Um, and, and so I think if you're interested in doing this as a community, uh, you have to go at the pace of grace and you have to go at the speed of relationship, which we often say in 24 seven prayer. And so um, we did that and uh, this journey has served us so well, so well as a community. We've navigated major uh, transitions, uh, some major crises, um, um, all manner of things that are just part and parcel of the normal church life and community life, as you can imagine. But um, I can say this after having experienced the grace and the peace and, and the, the grace that comes as a, as, a, as a leader of a community to kind of, there's something about um, taking on this yoke that is light and much, uh, much more shared and in a greater sense of watching God work in your midst in ways that doesn't feel like you're trying to um, make something happen or manipulate but you're actually inviting the presence of the Lord to speak to all the hearts in the room to work in your hearts and to shape and form and transform. And, and even conflict now becomes a place of grace to, to learn how to uh, see what God is doing and hear what God is doing. And, and at the end of the day, we are a healthier, happier uh, more spirit-led community, I think, than when we first began. So that's a little of our journey. I don't, I don't know if that helps. Great. Yeah, no, that's a great overview. Thanks. Let's let's talk a little bit at the beginning 
you know, we talk about moving from sort of a task force or a leadership team into becoming a community of discernment. So I would be curious when you were doing that with your leadership team, were you doing that with staff? Were you doing that with elders? Were you doing that all together? What did that look like for you? Yeah. So for us, um, uh, I would say it was elders and, and what we call vocational elders are our, our full-time staff who are in primary leadership positions. So it would be a combination really of, of both staff. Um, we've walked all of our staff through this, but uh, the level, one of the, the key things in discerning your, you know, who's at the table in this discernment process is, you know, what, what decisions are, are you discerning? You know, what, what are, what is it that this particular group is called to discern and define, you know, that. And so we started with the elders and the vocational elders of which I was one of those, as well as uh, some of our other team leadership team. So that we could a uh, learn it and and b we could model it for the rest of the staff and and so there was this beautiful trickle down effect that began to happen in the way that other uh, teams and aspects of the community would would try to walk through things and and so um, yeah I don't know if that's yep, helpful. No, that's- but- that's really helpful. And so one of the things that Ruth says in her book um, is the the first thing, one of the first things we need to do with members in that, that discernment community is, is help them as individuals in their own lives spiritually to cultivate that habit of discernment and to, to, um, to set a priority to create space for transformation in their own personal lives. I think one of the things she says in her book is the most important thing you bring to leadership is your transformed self. So what did that look like for you with your team as you were preparing at the front end? Yeah, I think um, for us, understanding the nature of spiritual formation and transformation and its connection to the discernment process was really important. You know, um, you know the classic verse that that Ruth uses in in the book, of course, is Romans twelve two, and you know that as we're transformed and renewed, that we will discern or know the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. And so I think we had to come to this place of trust that okay, if we were committed to this and willing to commit together. And so um, that meant that when we would gather together, we would have, um, you know, Jesus moments together where we would sit in the presence of the Lord and we would either do things like Lectio Divina, that, that we're, there's shared spiritual practices together, but there's also our personal spiritual practices that we were accountable for as well. And, and and so the beauty of this is just, you know, being able to see this, it's all connected, right? So we, we experience transformation, then we actually, it helps us discern what God is doing. We obey uh, what God, what we've heard in discernment to do. And then as Ruth says, we'll, we'll hit limitations, which sends us back into the need for our own personal 
transformation and our own personal growth. And so um, I encourage you not to see the process as, as linear so much as it is. Uh, it, it's a little bit uh, circular and in the nature of it. And so, you know, there is this ongoing commitment and process to renewal and transformation that is just so critical and um, and then, of course, when you when you're committed to that as a group, then it provides um, that communal setting in which you get to encourage one another, know one another well enough um, that you just you, you know we we've become incredibly close as a spiritual community of leaders in the room, and uh, these guys stepped up and really committed to begin meeting you know we were when we started we were meeting i think as elders like monthly uh and then the staff of course would and leadership team would meet weekly the vocational elders and and we're meeting quite a bit but but man the elders uh all stepped up and said no we want to do this and and walk it out and so their level of commitment to meet regularly and weekly and as needed just became a beautiful testimony of their commitment to this process. That's wonderful. I'm just going to drill down and get super practical for, for a second in this. So you were talking about how you created space in your life as a community of leaders for transformation. And so you said one of the things that you did was Lexio Divina together, which is sort of this mm-hmm. quiet contemplative interaction with the scripture. What were some other things? What were some other spiritual practices that you you had together as a community that created space for God to meet with you? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, by way of, of gathering, um, you know, prayer, um, confession, uh, some silence and solitude, because if you're going to go through the the spiritual process of corporate discernment together, you have to get really honest with each other. And so um, learning to create a space that's safe for people to be able to bear their hearts and bear their challenges and bear their concerns and, you know, um, confess their, their desolation and as well as their consolation that requires um, just a, a really sacred space. And, and so, um, you know, lots of prayer, uh, worship times together, um, uh, you know, those kind of things. So we, we often say, uh, you know, how can we be, uh, how can we lead the church if we can't be the church as leaders? And so that's an important, uh, became an important distinction for us. Great. Well, I said I was going to leave questions to the end, but Emma's just thrown in one that I think would fit in quite well right now. She said, were there any in your leadership who were more hesitant about the process? And if so, how did you encourage them and help them to catch the vision? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that there were any hesitant about the process because who, you know, who doesn't want to be led by you know, the Holy Spirit and led by God in making these decisions. This sounds, it sounds wonderful, right? But I think where the the hesitation came in and, I, and, and what helped us is we actually kind of really, we were pretty good about walking through what Ruth 
the steps she laid out in terms of committing to our own personal renewal and transformation. Another practice that we did was um, we were all reading the same daily text through the Moravian uh uh, daily texts, you know, so there was things happening outside that we we were all reading the same scriptures daily. Um, but we also, you know, went through the value uh, exercise and clarified, you know, our values together. What are we committing to to one another? And we we looked each other in the eye, you know, and said, are, are we making this commitment to one another? Because where the hesitancy comes in is whenever you you do have, uh, you know, when when you feel like you're the voice of dissent and you, you're trying to bring out your own desolation about a situation where especially it seems like everybody else may be on board. And we, we learned the hard way. We had, you know, we have some really precious uh, elders and, and some are more vocal than others, as you as you all know. And and so we, uh, but there, uh, some of the quieter ones in the room. You've got to really make sure that you're encouraging them and helping them to share. And this is a great process and way of uh, being able to say, everyone in the room, we need to hear from you. We need to hear what's on your heart. We need to hear the desolation and, and the consolation of your heart. And so if there's anything that happens in this process, I think you get greater buy-in, uh, not lesser buy-in, because you're actually submitting to the process. You're checking in with your own heart. There's deep spiritual work that's happening. Um, and I've seen God do some amazing things in these kind of settings um, and and lead us in directions that we were sure God was taking us another direction and, and, and we he was we were like in the moment God spoke you know kind of thing so it was beautiful wonderful that's helpful thank you let's you mentioned how you had done the work of articulating your values together and we talked in previous classes about you know so the process of laying the foundation getting ready for discernment is this like identification and articulation of shared values in the life of your discernment community what did that look like for you and what were some of the values that you decided would be life-giving for your community yeah um matter of fact let me let me just pull that up because that would be really helpful. It was, um, y- you know, you're, you're kind of going through trying to get through cause we all have limited time. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're navigating, uh, our time. We're navigating, trying to, you know, work through a process, but we came up with a value statement that really, um, you know, we worked through, we talked about, and we prayed through, and um, I don't know if you want me to, it, it, there's a little paragraph that we came up with, and then some of the values, you want me to just share that with yeah, you? That'd be great, yeah. Okay, so we came up with this, the elders, is a, uh, the elders are a community of Christ followers bound by our shared mission in the body of Christ at Believer's Church. We are rooted in love, our love for one another, our love for God, but foremost in his unending and flawless love for us. Our communion is a place of freedom where each individual is valued fully as a unique creation of God, whose contribution is essential to the full formation of our community. 
By overflowing in grace and mercy, we will foster frankness of speech in the service of truth and vulnerability en route to transformation and healing. Finally, we are devoted continually to prayer. We endeavor to humbly seek God with all of our hearts, finding him in his word, our own prophetic voices, and through the movement of his Holy Spirit in the midst of us. And so uh, that, that, that became kind of our, our value statement um, that we, you know, uh, we, we've got a few on our team that are, are a little more creative and prophetic and, and, you know, a little more word. So we wordsmithed it and came in agreement on it. And so it served us well. So I highly recommend that you go through that process. Don't, don't skip the process because uh, you'll, you, you know, the, everything is building upon the other and, and helping to create that kind of space where people feel, because this is very vulnerable work and, and, uh, and, and, and especially in a leadership setting, there's a lot of, there's, you know, just a lot of pressures and things that, that you face and there's spiritual warfare involved. And so I think this is a, a really beautiful way to mitigate some of that. Great. Thanks, Roger. Um, the um, Maureen's got a good question here in terms of regarding space to give to the voices of quieter people in the room. Did you sort of give them permission to use the written word to express themselves or just speaking in meetings? And some people, uh, I'll, I'll just clarify a little bit from my, I, I have my last group of community discernment back in Canada had a lot of introverts in it. <laughs> so I realized that they needed time yeah. to process that I wasn't going to get right from the get go because they needed time to sort of yeah. percolate. And some people were more comfortable with written responses. Was that a dynamic that you encountered in your context or? I think, um, we began to use, uh, we were using Basecamp, which is uh, a real great, um, you know, way of staying connected throughout the week um, with the elders. And so um, I, I would say that there were times where after a meeting, maybe that was especially intense or, or you know, uh, there were those who, you know, might process something in prayer or the next day or, you know, so uh, this takes all kinds of all manner of communication, lots of it. But um, I think the thing that we, we also just came to was that when there was a matter of discernment, it was man, it, we just, people came to understand that we were going to hear from you, what was going on in your heart, what were you sensing God doing and saying, and, and not in a, a pressure filled way, but this was just, part of the, you know, the dynamic and responsibility of being an elder and, and helping uh, speak into what, what we were trying to sense God was saying and doing. So it was kind of a both end. <laughs> yeah. So John was asking what Basecamp is. So Basecamp is an online forum um, that, that has message boards and places where you can uh, pop documents up for everybody to review. And so you can use any kind of forum that, that you like. I mean, our, our, at Emmaus Road, we, we use primarily WhatsApp for, with our eldership team to communicate with each other in between and sometimes email. So whatever your tool of the trade is, what, what I heard you saying, Roger, is that, that lots and lots of communication is required for this kind of discernment and, and to have those 
communication modes and tools of communication in place to facilitate that is helpful. Yeah. And if you're sitting in the lead chair or the lead facilitating chair for this process, then it requires lots of invitation, you know, just be, be very invitational in recognizing, you know, and sometimes you have to read the room and, and discern, you know, what's happening and, you know, some, some, someone's awfully quiet. Why, you know, what's God doing? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, if the really talkative ones are quiet, something's really up or if the, the quiet ones, uh, you know, aren't speaking, then why, why is there tension? Is there, are there things going on? Are there other dynamics in the room that we need to pay attention to? So, yeah. That's another good question here while we're on the topic of values. Was the shared values of the elders different from your wider congregational life or were they the same? Well, because um, I'm going to just, the easy answer is, yeah, those were, those were values that we discerned together as a, a, a spiritual listening community. Now, they were very similar uh, to our organization, the values of healing and uh, relationship and vulnerability and and trust, but that was a unique document um, expressed uh, that we worked on together. So, yeah, as a community of discernment, great. Okay, so values is one thing, but then actually anchoring those values in real time, real life practices. <laughs> <laughs> that helped you live into them. What did that look like for you? I know that Ruth in her book, she talks about lots of practicing truth telling, practicing listening, practicing confession, practicing, <laughs> I love my favorite one was conflict transformation. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so what were some of the practices that you found helpful in your group discernment process? Um, yeah, I think for us, um, the practices, uh, well, naturally, by by the time you get to that place where you've got some shared values, you know, and, and um, learning how to discern what God is doing and saying to you, you know, uh, Ruth, Ruth, I heard Ruth say one time, if you don't know how God is leading you, you won't know how God is leading others. And so there is this um, continual dynamic of, um, what's going on in uh, your own life and your own heart. And so once you get through some of this hard work, it really is kind of just a simple rhythm of, of you know, being together with God. Um, sometimes that can look like some solid, I mean, solitude and silence together, uh, Lectio Divina, worship, um, just getting in the presence of God together. And then, um, you know, we didn't always go through, in the beginning, we were much more aware of the values, but but then we, we began to just, you know, the needs of the community naturally, <laughs> naturally are screaming, naturally are coming forth. You, you don't have to worry, uh, well, what are we going to discern next, you know? What you do have to do is decide what what things merit the the group's uh, time and energy towards discernment, and and try to make sure you're discerning you know the major things and not getting caught up in uh, a lot of little things. But there is this natural simple rhythm that begins to develop where 
uh, for us anyway, was spending time in the presence of God, bringing the issues together, um, creating, you know, lo- there, there's lots of, di- you know, discussion about, you know, the particular issues. Sometimes there's information gathering. Sometimes there's the need to, to, you know, table an issue and get more information. You know, there's all kinds of dynamics that go into this. That's why I say it's not necessarily a, always a linear process. I love what, um, you know, uh, one time Ruth said, you know, sometimes you're just trying to discern the next patch of light because you may have a big decision ahead of you, but you just can't get to uh, a sense of God saying yes, or there's just too much. Uh, you can't get to indifference or you can't get to peace. You can't get to, you know, or you don't even have a sense of what's the wisest thing to do getting to that wisdom. So really, you know, getting to that place together is, is a journey. And uh, so that sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's talking it out until you can feel like we can even pray about this and know what all the issues are to get to a place of indifference and a place of quiet trust and a place of, of uh, you know, how do we walk this out? And, you know, not, the issues don't always look, uh, the outcome doesn't always look the same, but we try to hold on to that core value of, spending time in the presence of God, bringing the issue up, clarifying the issue, um, and then going through the prayer process of getting to indifference and get asking for, you know, peace and, and uh, trying to discern wisdom. And, and so that's the heavy lifting, you know, that's the work together. Great. So I'm wondering, um, Deb's got a question here. How much of the process was experienced and encouraged by hospitality around the table? Yeah. So. Yeah. As uh, you know, as you, as you do as a community, you need, you need uh, sometimes some of the issues can seem super heavy, you know, I mean, and um, yeah, just very heavy issues that you're dealing with. So there is a rhythm also of, of hospitality and, you know, uh, having nights of just, um, you know, gathering in a home and uh, around a shared meal together um, or, you know, depending on where and what you're setting or context, you may be meeting in homes all the time. And so, and I encourage all the hospitality that uh, you have grace for um, it's, it's, um, you know, you, you are, this process will cause you to, to grow together, uh, as family and, uh, and to, you, you know, really learn how to appreciate the uniquenesses in the room and the, the distinctions and also the, the similarities. So, uh, you know, in Ephesians four, Paul talks about doing everything you can to preserve, uh, the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And, and um, I think this is absolutely one of the most important ways that we do that. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Another question. Keep them coming guys. These are good. So how large was your leadership team 
And uh, would you say sort of in terms of it I, working ideally or, or effectively, would there be a minimum or a maximum number of people involved? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so I'm trying to think there are, there are approximately seven um, it, and this is just the way because of the nature of our communities a little bit older and, and uh, or well, getting older. Um, I think we had 14 uh, elder um, and they were, and it, it just kind of landed this way. They were all, they all ended up being couples, not that we, um, and then myself and two other of the leadership team. And now it's, so, you know, anywhere from about there's probably about 15 to 17 of us. So that's a, that's a fairly large, you know, group. Um, and so it, the larger your group, I, I would say the, you know, the more patient you have to be and the longer it takes you to navigate, you know, through the journey a little bit. Um, so yeah. Great. Is there a minimum or maximum number of people involved? I, I, I'm not really, it would seem that there would be a maximum at some point. Uh, our numbers seem to work well. We didn't, we didn't feel like, you know, we couldn't get to everybody in a meeting, but you know, our meetings some, sometimes would go, go a while to make sure that we could get everybody heard. But, you know, Jesus said, if two or three are <laughs> In prayer, there I am in their midst. So maybe the two or three might be the minimum. I don't know. If it's just you discerning the decisions, you're you're probably not doing the communal discernment. Well, we even have had, I've done this in, in past, we've done a one session on doing this as a husband and wife. Yeah. And so Kirk and I did a class together of, of us as a community of discernment of two, <laughs> discerning God's will yeah. together as, as a couple. And so that's another yeah. way to approach it. We've got another video on that. But uh, let me say, let me just say one thing um, that I had thought of, and that is that one of the commitments in this that, that Ruth talks about, I think probably one of the hardest things is that that as you're entering into this communal discernment together, that you're actually committing with one another to also allow them to speak into your own personal discernment issues because your, your personal decisions actually impact the group, you know? And, and, and so for instance, if the Lord is calling you on or moving you on or moving you out or moving you up or whatever, you know, that, that, to have my, my transition, just so you know, I transitioned to almost in June will be two years out of the lead pastor role into kind of what we call pastor at large. It's a trans local role. So I can do more work with 24 seven and here in the city. And that was a major transition. And we, we spent a long time navigating through that. There was, there was lots of lots going on there, but so that was, you know, because especially when it involves people, these are very personal, uh, personal discernment, you know, items. And, and, and I've found that inviting people into this discernment process together of, 
you know, what is God doing? What is God saying? And why doesn't this maybe, you know, maybe this doesn't seem to be a fit or what, you know, what, I don't know. We just seem, we have a lot of grace here and we, we seem to avoid some of the, you know, intense, uh, painful, um, uh, you know, conflictual kinds of things that can happen um, among, you know, teams and staff and those kind of things. So I'm, I'm not saying we got it down perfect. We're not perfect at all, but there's still some hard moments, but anyway. Great. Okay. We've got more questions. We're just going to keep rolling them through. Jane, I've seen your question. I'm going to hold on to that just for a little bit. Um, so Kay is interested in encouraging times of confession. Yeah. So is that private or accountable to one another in smaller groups? What did that look like in the life of your discernment community? Yeah, I think it can look a lot of different ways. Um, again, this kind of um, is helpful if as, as leaders, you, you can just model that for, for the, the team, especially in the beginning. Um, certainly there, you know, when we're all together in the room and, you know, there's a couple, you know, men and women and all of that, that a lot of the confessions are just about dealing with our, our hearts and, you know, maybe reticence or, uh, you know, emotional conflicts, um, you know, pride, anger, uh, you know, some of the deadly sins, you know, things. And, and, uh, so that, that takes time, but, um, again, um, there's also the, the creation of, uh, you know, there were times in our staff where we would have guys get together and girls get together. And then there's just the natural relational connections where people feel safe to you to come privately and, and do, you know, share some of the, the things that you're bumping up against that maybe, you know, you need to get off your chest. And, and so practically we encourage it by modeling it. That's what Jesus did. He modeled, he assisted, then he encouraged, and then, then he got out of the way, you know, so. Mm, lovely. Maureen wants to know, do you always wait till everybody's in agreement? Yeah. That is, that's the million dollar question, Maureen. <laughs> um, I would say this, when we first began, we were very, um, I think there's a strong desire and sense that, uh, you know, the way this is supposed to play out is that you're supposed to get to, you know, a place of unity where everyone's in agreement. So I think we... I think that was a pretty high value for us in the beginning. I think what we've come to recognize now in the journey is that um, when we're praying, especially in the aspect of indifference, it's important to be able, we've learned to be able to say things like, you know what, I can't get to complete indifference and we can articulate why we can't get to indifference. And often the reason, the reason uh, behind your inability to, to get to indifference can help determine, do, but do, do we feel peace to move on? In other words, uh, some people in our team or elders will say, I can't really get to indifference because I love this person too much or, or I just have this strong sense about this, but it's not enough for me to, 
prevent us moving forward. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't know that you'll, you know, and especially the larger you get, you may not get to uh, complete uh, total agreement, but man, our track record's pretty good. Now, uh, when it came to adding on uh, one of our senior leaders in a new position, bringing on, this was where we we kind of felt like the Lord was leading one way. Um, and we got in the room and we all we were all quiet and we all went around the room and it was just obvious that uh, we were kind of like, whoa, God just showed up and changed the course of where we were going. And um, that was a holy moment. And one of the early moments where we look to is of like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The Lord is at work. And so I think as, as we, um, and I, I think the other thing that's important in that is just how, how critical the issue is. You know, if, if you're trying to discern, should we, you know, move into a new building or, or maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, change the color of paint, I, whatever, you know, <laughs> it may be a smaller thing. And <clears throat> that total agreement may not be as critical. Uh, and But it's important that you let people articulate that, that you're not trying to force that if you're facilitating or leading that. So that has to come from those in the room. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think and part of it too, it comes down to if, if we're trusting the process and if we're trusting the relationships yeah. right and knowing that we're yeah. all even human in the mix it's like okay I'm, I'm not fully there with you but i trust you so mm -hmm. let's give it a go yeah. you know and and uh, so there's something about that, that that there's this substantive just trust factor grows you know so people will go on the journey and and yeah anyway so that can be helpful emma's got a question too do you have any pre-work with your team that you did with regards to spiritual transformation or spiritual trans you know spiritual practices yeah. so in her own context that's unfamiliar language and um and uh so what you know what can you do ahead of time before all of this yeah. this is like you know grade two and it's like what do you do if you're in kindergarten yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, there's there's dynamics. Um, I was trying to think. I, I think Ruth does a really great job in the actual book, Pursuing God's Will Together, which is why we we were pretty intentional about navigating through that together um, and not rushing that process in which she sets up the spiritual for transformation process. Now, there's dynamics. Um, there, there's certainly upgrades and understanding and, you know, uh, you may feel like before you can get to that, there just needs to be a season of going through something like, you know, her book, Sacred Rhythms or Celebration of Discipline or, you know, um, I'm sure Jill can recommend it, but yeah, no, I think books. Sacred Rhythms is good. And it's got a DVD course yeah. with it as well. And so yeah. it kind of lays a, a bed track of understanding of what, yeah. what, what is the journey of transformation? I think the other one too, Roger, that's really good is 
strengthening the soul of your leadership. Yeah, I was thinking of that. And the third book I would add of hers, and it sounds like, you know, we're on a big uh, marketing campaign for Ruth. I, I, I just finished, I'm finishing up what has turned into almost a three-year journey for our, our cohort because of COVID. But, uh, you know, Jill, Jill led the way and, and uh, Joe and Chris and I, and my wife and I, we've just completed the journey. So there is a method to her madness. But the other book is uh, that she's written that would go really well hand in hand is Life Together. Um, and, and that probably explains how to take things like the sacred rhythms and what does it look like to be a transforming community? What does it look like? Because I tell you what, it, it'll radically change how you lead when you realize that people aren't gathering around me. We're gathering around the presence of Jesus and we're trying to hear Jesus together and experience Jesus together. That takes a lot of weight off everybody. So um yeah uh i'm trying to go back to that question yeah so yeah, hopefully that answered so your you question feel free to follow up if <laughs> it's not clear yeah i can help you with that emma too so um so what have happened you've taken this eldership through this whole process and you developed this discernment fluency among yourself and then boom you get a couple of new elders then what do you do i am well, you make reading, pursuing God's will together a prerequisite for becoming an elder. That's what you do. <laughs> you, you, uh, and we're, uh, we hadn't really, our, our elders have transformed into kind of lifelong elders. So uh, it used to be kind of a four year term. And, and so you may want to, um, if it becomes a bit, difficult and it, it's also different depending on the age of your community and the elders and those kind of things but um yeah you you do have to have an on-ramp and an understanding and that shapes even the process of discerning elders new who who the elders are um can they and and clarifies what they're signing up for and what they're committed to and i think I think um, that's a huge uh, win because when they realize, oh my gosh, this is what what elding is. We're, we're gathering together in the presence of Jesus, discerning what God is doing and saying in our midst. It, it's weighty, but it's also beautiful and transformative in its own way. So, great. Maureen's got another question here. When when trying to clarify the importance of some decisions compared to others. Did you have some kind of traffic light system or framework to know which ones you would take into a full discernment process or did you just feel it out as you went? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the dynamics in a leadership team or elders is, you know, some people are going to feel the need to discern everything and others are, are not. <laughs> and the, the leaders, uh, who are on the ground especially are going to probably have the best feel for uh, the, the importance of some decisions and, and what needs to be uh, discerned. And so I think in the beginning of the process, Ruth, at some point in the process, I can't remember where it is, Ruth talks about clarifying what it is we're committing, what, what things are we charged with in discerning and that's important you know 
because you also want to be empowering um, the dangers or, or not the dangers, but the pitfalls of this is that this can make things really slow and you want to, um, and it can feel like, oh my gosh, can we just get to a decision for the, for the ones and the, the eights in the room, you know, they're like, dear Lord, this is taking forever, you know? And so you have to really, you know, um, balance it out. And, and some of that is the speed of the leader. Sometimes it's the speed of relationship, but primarily it's the pace of, of the grace that you guys have, you know, because maybe, you know, especially if you're all by, you know, if your team is bivocational and, you know, you're, you're not able to attend to these things full time in a week, then it's just going to be a slower process, but trust, trust in that as, um, we, we say trust in the slow work. Yeah. Great. I'm going to come back to Jane's question. It was a little bit more personal. You mentioned silence and solitude. Yes. You find yourself comfortable being in silence and how would you recommend people finding more, you know, being able to settle into silence? Um, let's see. Yeah, it, it, it is, um, definitely something that you have to grow into and especially when you're doing it corporately because it, it just doesn't feel native to be in a, a room full of people and not say anything or not have some discussion going. So the, the corporate setting actually is a good place of practicing and training because um, learning how, because uh, it's in the midst of other people that, our false self tends to rise up more than any other. And that's, it's in the midst of, uh, you know, when I, when it's just me, I can get to silence and solitude fairly quickly. And I've learned, you know, how to recognize uh, some of the false self and the true self and the, and just the ego and all of that. But man, this really is important because it helps train us learning how to be with one another and be who we are with one another without some of the, the dynamics. So learning how to notice what's going on in my heart, uh, how am I feeling and how am I feeling towards this team and this community? So, but we do it in bite-sized chunks, you know, uh, uh, Jill did two minutes, you know, and so two minutes in a corporate setting is probably a good, <laughs> that's a good reg. If you do that regularly, you know, so. That's, then, that's the important thing. My last question then, um, what have been kind of the, the long-term fruits? Because you entered into this process like five yeah. years ago, you said you started it. Yeah. What have been the long-term fruit in the life of your leadership community together? Yeah. Well, um, I can speak as a, you know, as the, the lead chair, you know, um, I remember elder meetings where I would go in and I felt like, man, I, I had to, I had to perform. I had to uh, project this image that all is well, everything's good. God is on the move. You know, now uh, th there were obviously moments where we had heavy things that we had to deal with, but even those things, sometimes there was this sense of, 
projection that the leadership team, the the vocational elders, the ones who are being set apart or paid to, you know, to steward this community had to have all the answers, had to have it all together. And so personally, uh, it's an unhealthy, untenable, unsustainable way of leading. And so I think part of the fruit of this is just this, oh my gosh, you mean we get to do this together and trust that the Lord is speaking to us and that God is on the move and, and that God knows each and every person in the room. So there's a, the beautiful fruit of just, it, it is a, a lighter yoke to carry, I think. And, and, uh, and then, you know, your own personal heart gets, you, you get to grow in your own, you know, soul uh, learning about your own heart, the consolations and the desolations. And why does this matter to me? Why does this not matter? Or, you know, uh, and so there's just a lot of beautiful fruit in your own personal life by doing this corporately, because, you know, we can be alone with God uh, in solitude, but the community is what helps sustain the mystery of, of what God is doing and sustain us and hold us and keep us in that mystery. And, um, and so that I think is important. It has prevented uh, a, another fruit I would say is um, yeah, just greater unity, less, less, uh, less conflict. Um, and, and the, the community benefits from that, you know, and, and honestly, guys, uh, you know, sometimes when you are in leadership, you know, you don't always, you don't always know what God is doing, you know, and, and you're trying to discern as much as anyone else. And, and yet you feel the pressure to, you're supposed to know. And so this is a spiritual journey and a spiritual process. So, yeah. And then just a sense that um, the Lord is leading us, that Jesus is the head of the church. And we really, this is putting, this is where the rubber meets the road when we say Jesus is the head of the church. And it allows us to actually um, put that into practice and, and give him the reins and let him lead us in a, in a way that seems good and right to us and the Holy Spirit. Right. Mm. Wonderful. So good. Okay, Maureen snuck in one last question here. <laughs> as a general rule of thumb, would you be discerning each matter in your personal prayer life, along as, you know, discerning it together in a group? Um, again, it just depends on what the issue is, um, and how, how personal it is to you, you know, and, and how much uh, skin in the game you have in it. Um, some, some issues uh, are, will not be as uh, weighty for you as they are other others on your team. And so that's why the corporate process is important too. So I would say yes, sometimes, but not always. So. Well, Roger, thank you so much. I think it's, it's so great to have kind of a living letter. I mean, we could talk about all this, this theoretically, yeah. <laughs> but actually hear how it works in the life of a real congregation in a real leadership team, I think is so, so helpful. Thank you so, guys. Thanks so important. much. Can you pray for us? Would that be all right? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Great. So. Mm. 
Well, come Holy Spirit. We thank you as we are on the eve of Pentecost Sunday and all that you are doing in the earth, Lord, that your primary uh, presence, the reason you were sent was to empower us as the church, to embolden us, to dare to believe that Holy Spirit, you were orchestrating uh, not only the events of our own personal lives, but that you can orchestrate the events of our little patch, wherever we may be, be our little field. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the head of the church, that Jesus, you are the cornerstone, you are the master builder, and you are the foundation. Jesus, you are everything. And so we trust you, Lord, and entrust to you these uh, beautiful people, these wild and crazy and wacky and wonderful people. We entrust to you the work. We entrust to you uh, all of the things that are in our own hearts. We trust you to get us to where we need to be. And I pray for grace for each one of these leaders and those who are part of teams and communities, Lord, that, uh, Father, if I've if I've shared anything that makes this sound like, uh, you know, uh, has created angst for them because they're not where they feel like they should be. Lord, just um, I pray for grace for them, just supernatural peace to trust you in the process. And um, if they could peel back, you know, the times where we, we were struggling with like, Lord, is this really you or all those kinds of things that are just part of the normal journey. And at the end of the day, Lord, I thank you for um, the quiet peace that we can uh, know your will um, and we can actually do it. And um, pray you'd make this process and this journey easier than, than we think it is or they think it is. And uh, yeah, Lord, we just thank you for the fruit to come out of this. Communities that are walking in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that, Lord, will bring great glory to you, that will provide uh, abundance and fruit in the lives of each believer. And also, Lord, for the sake of others, will transform our cities and communities and bring those who are far from you into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go. Amen.